0: This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. It's a privilege and an honour to uh, get to be here this morning and to share with you. Uh, Ken and I have been in the house, a part of this house for 46 years, and so uh, we count it quite a privilege to be a part of this local church and to be a part of the team. We're a team of teams here. I know you already know that. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, this morning, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to share another piece of the uh, series that we've been on. We're talking about that the Bible isn't just a good book, that the Bible is uh, more than a good book. And in our first week, uh, Ken ministered on the book that we believe and he challenged us all, and I hope you're all doing this. He challenged us all to be uh, reading uh, the Book of Proverbs this month, uh, every day, uh, read a chapter of Proverbs. And I hope that you're you're doing something similar to what I'm doing. I'm praying through the Book of Proverbs, uh, chapter by chapter. And you know, I was so excited yesterday uh, when I you know opened up chapter 19, chapter 18, excuse me, and it said, "The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it." Uh, because I don't know what kind of week you've had, but I've had a week where I needed to be reminded that his name is a strong tower and I could run into it, you know, and it's so good. And I just began to pray, Lord Jesus, I'm running into your name today. I'm running into you. I'm running into your presence. Have you ever had a week like that? You know, and so it's so good that we can believe the book. And then our second message in this series was last week, and it was the book that we can trust. And if you weren't here, I just wanna encourage you all to get these two messages it'll motivate you to believe and it'll motivate you with fill you up with reasons as to why we trust why we trust this great book and next week we'll be talking about how to study the great book Uh, and so that will be very inspirational today we're going to talk about the book that we live The book that we live. You know, we live by the word, for the word, and with the word. We not only know that we can believe it and that we should trust it, that we should study it, but that we should, (laughs) we need to walk it out, don't we? That we can live it. You know, uh, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 says that man shall not, what, live by bread alone. We shouldn't live just by pancakes and steak and all those things (laughs) uh, and natural provisions, but we live by every, what? Every word of God that comes to us. So this morning I'd like to talk with us about three, three main things in regard to living it. First of all, we reach for it and then we walk it out. We live it and then we give it we give it. There's no, you know, you can't live it if it's not in you, right? If you're not reaching for it daily. And what's the point of living it if we only live it within the four walls? And we never give it. So we live it to give it. You know, I'd like to take you to um, Luke chapter 8 this morning. And let me just frame this story that I want to remind you about this morning and tell you about by telling you a couple of stories before the story, right? Uh, Just to give you perspective. We have Jesus preaching in Galilee and miracles are happening. The crowds are building. The crowds are growing and there's an excitement that's building. And then he tells his disciples, let's get in the boat. Uh, You know, the father wants me to go across to the other side. And so they get in the boat to go across to the Other side, and then a storm comes up. And most scholars believe that this storm came up because of what they were going to face on the other side, that the demonic forces on the other side didn't want Jesus and his disciples to come across. They wanted the miracles to stay on the other side, they didn't want the miracles to come on their side. How many of you know Jesus is going to go where miracles are needed? And so they come across, you know, and Jesus says, Peace be still. There's a whole story there that I could go into, but Basically he when the storm comes up he says peace be still and the disciples are like whoa okay he's the storm calmer we need Jesus to come and to calm our storms. They get uh, over into the region of the Gerasenes and a man who's been demonized for many years come out, comes out and greets them. And Jesus comes and he delivers this man of many demonic spirits. And then they come and they get back in the boat and they, they come back across the water, back to Galilee. Well, the anticipation for the master has been building and building. And they come back, and it says that the crowds were there waiting for him to welcome him. They were so excited about him coming back. And in our story, there are two people that are going to reach for Jesus. One is going to reach because she has a great need. She's been dying for 12 years and she has a great need. The other is gonna reach on behalf of someone who can't reach for themselves. A father who has a daughter who is so sick that she can no longer reach for the word. She can no longer reach for the master. She doesn't know how and she can't do it. And both of these, if you can imagine, here we have the crowd and here we have these two pressing in, we've got the father and we've got the woman. That That's been dying and they're pressing through the crowd. Why? Because they both want to reach Jesus. They both want to reach the Word of God. You know, first of all, in our story, as I mentioned, we have Jairus the Father. His name's Jairus, and he's a ruler of the Jewish synagogue. Now, to be a ruler of the Jewish synagogue, you had to be a, a you know very a uh, strong Orthodox Jew. You had to really be into the law and you had to be elected by the elders. And you, that would have meant you took care of all the practical details uh, of the service, much like our beautiful campus pastors here that we're so blessed by uh, every week, you know? And so this is Jairus. He's, he's a busy, busy pastor, so to speak, you know, of a Jewish synagogue. But more importantly than that, he is his daughter's advocate. You know, sometimes we just can't make the reach. And we need somebody else to go and make the reach into the Word and get uh, the living Word of God for us and to bring us uh, the living Word uh, into our hearts and into our spirits. His daughter needed somebody to be her advocate. And Jairus is incredible. How many of you know we all need an advocate at different times in our life? Sometimes we are flat on our back, spiritually speaking, and we need somebody to be an advocate. And to me, this is such a beautiful picture because I I think Jesus must have had a smile in his heart when he met Jairus, thinking about, I just wonder if he was thinking about, you know what, someday I'm gonna sit at the right hand of my father and I'm gonna advocate for my people. I'm gonna advocate for those who cannot reach for the, you know, for themselves on their own. Because Jesus, the scripture says, he is sitting at the right hand of the father today and he's advocating for us. And here he meets Jairus, who's advocating for his daughter. Uh, Jairus is also, you know, he's a dad who's a man of stubborn faith. And when everybody tells him, Jairus, give up on it. Just give up. She's already dead. She's already gone. Give it up. Don't bother the master anymore. No, Jairus, he goes right into the house when Jesus says, come on, Jairus. I'm going to your house today. Come on into the room. We're going to see a miracle. Jairus, he's, he doesn't care what his friends and neighbors say. He doesn't care uh, what the criticals say. He says, okay, I'm in. Jesus, if you're, in, I'm in. The next person in our story, you know, is Adiris' daughter. Ah, she's so precious and so beautiful. She's 12 years old, you know, in and, and Judaism at this time. She's on the verge of her fruitfulness. They got married between 12 and 14 years old, you know, and she's just on the verge of her fruitfulness. She's just at the dawn of her womanhood. And yet what's happened? She's gotten so sick that she now, by the time Jesus gets to her, uh, she is deceased. She's a daughter of the house. And she has an advocate. So many of us here, we are sons and daughters of the house. And we are sitting here because somebody advocated for us. You know, this is a precious daughter. She is valuable to her father. Mm. You know, we are so blessed in this house because we know that we have value because of who we belong to. We know that we have value because of our Father. But this girl, she is numb to her issues. By the time Jesus gets to her, she doesn't even know she has issues. She's dead. She's gone. Sometimes we are so dead in sin that we can't even cry out. She needed this advocate. The next person. Now, who is pressing through the crowd? We've got the father pressing for the daughter, and then we've got this woman. Uh, The girl had been uh, living for 12 years and was dying. The woman had been dying for 12 years and was seeking life. This woman, uh, she has an issue She's not numb to her issues. She's not unaware of her issues. She is very alert uh, to her issues. Uh, Most uh, biblical scholars believe that she was a Gentile from Caesarea Philippi. Now, whether she was a Gentile or whether she was a Jew from Caesarea Philippi, we know one thing about this woman and that is that in Judaism, she was considered to be unclean. She shouldn't have even been in uh, within so many feet of these people within the crowd, but she doesn't even care. She's aware of her needs and she's pressing uh, through the crowd. She should have been crying out, unclean, unclean, I'm coming. Make way, I'm unclean. Oh, how many of you know Jesus makes the unclean clean? Jesus never becomes unclean. He makes the unclean clean. (laughs) This woman needed a word. And I'm telling you the reason I know that she needed a word is because of what she reached for. She reached for the hem of his garment. Now, Jewish men today wear what we call a a talith when they go in to pray. And this is what it looks like. Something like Something like this. This is the the male Jewish prayer cloth that they put over their head when they go into the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, and you'll notice uh, these tassels at the ends of these uh, at the end of this tallith. And every Jewish man had these tassels on the four corners of the hem of their garment. What did those tassels represent? This woman, when she presses through the crowd, she doesn't reach for the healing hands of Jesus that she's heard about. She doesn't reach for the healing words of Jesus that she's heard about. What does she reach for? She reaches for the hem of his garment. She reaches for the the tassels on the hem of that garment because the tassels on the hem of that garment represented the word of God, represented the Old Testament, represented the covenant name of God. She was reaching for everything that was within that covenant name of God. Healer, protector, provider, banner, the one who covers me, the one who will provide for me. She's reaching, reaching for that. Everything that's within that name. And when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who touched me? They're like, master, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's pressing against you. And everybody was pressing against him. Oh, they must have been touching his hands. They must have been touching his shoulders or reaching his hair, touching his hair. They must have been reaching for the master what they thought Oh, they'd seen him heal with his hands. They'd seen him heal by his spoken word. But what does this woman go for? She reaches for the hymn. She reaches for what? She reaches for the word of God. She reaches for what is represented in the word of God. Yeah, and there were uh, 613 other precepts that these tassels represent. This woman reaches for the word of God. Who is the word of God? (laughs) Jesus is the word of God. In reaching for the word, we find the living God. We find the Messiah of our soul, the Lord of our soul, she reaches. By her action, she was saying, I believe that you've promised me life through the power of your word. I don't have to be obvious and reach for your hand. I don't have to be obvious and say, see my need. I can just reach for the hymn and reach for your word. And what does Jesus respond to her? He tells her, oh, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying it is your faith in the word and in the Christ. When somebody uh, would come and they would reach for the hymn, That was an identification with the wearer. And when they reached for the hem of a God, it was an acknowledgement to them as God. By her reach, she's reaching for the living word of God and saying, I surrender to you, to your lordship. If Jesus is not Lord at all, of all, he's not Lord at all, right? We tried to find out who said that quote. We don't know, it's Tozer or somebody else. But uh, anyway, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And by her reaching for the hymn, she's saying, you're my Lord, you're my King. I reach for every promise that's in the book. I don't want just a healing. I want every promise in the book. Do you want a healer or do you want a provider, protector, healer, everything that's represented in the name of God? And then, of course, in our story, you know, there's always the others. You know, this woman presses. Jesus says, you know, who, you know, who touched me? The, you know, and so the woman finally has to admit, it's me, it's me, you know. And so what's gonna happen? He says, your faith has made you whole. And then Jairus is like, oh no. And the people come and say, Jairus, your daughter's already dead. Leave the teacher alone. And Jesus just looks at Jairus. Come on, Jairus, you're an advocate. I'm an advocate. Come on, I've got enough. I've got enough for you. I've got enough for your girl. Let's go to the house. They get to the house and the mourners are already there. Jews always had professional mourners. The mourners are already there. You know, Jews had 39 ways just in how to tear their garments when they were mourning. And they also mourn by throwing dust in the air and by concealing their chin. They had all kinds of ways to mourn and to grieve and they're all mourning. But oh, Jesus is just like, "Put, put the grievers outside. Put those people who will not align their will with the will of this word, put them outside. I only want Peter, James, and John and I want mom and dad here with me and let's go in. And then Jesus raises this precious, precious girl From the dead. You know, Jesus is the Word who became flesh and lived among us. He is the Word. We come to Him who is the Word. You know, Jesus considered both women to be precious, the 12-year-old girl and the woman who had been suffering for 12 years. He considered them both to be precious. To Jesus, one was not outside and one was not inside. Both had great value. Both were in need of a word and in need of a touch. And both were worthy to be living in freedom. Every time we awaken the dawn with this word and we pray this word, God. Come and live in me today. Live in me and live through me today. Every time we're telling him, we know we have value in him. If the woman with the issue of blood had value, Lord, I have value. We're telling him that we need a word, we need a touch. And Lord, if I can't make the reach, send someone to make the reach for me telling him that we believe uh, in this word and in his promise. The next, so we reach for the word, the next thing we do is we, we live it. We live it. We make it a part of ourselves. We apply it. And we start by doing that uh, uh, and by obeying it. James 1, to 27 says, be doers of the word. So we've got to live this word. We've got to, it's not good enough just to, uh, to learn it. We've got to live by it. Deuteronomy 30 verses 14 to 16 says, keep his commandments and his statutes. How do we know what they are if we don't, you know, we don't reach for them, right? <laughs> I wonder how many things, of course, I know there's many things, how many things are there in this book that might cross my own personal opinion? (laughs) And we're like, I don't want to read it because I don't want to do it. (laughs) If I don't read it, then I'm not responsible, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, wrong. (laughs) I mean, okay. Let's just take one example, just one, just one. Let's, let's. I mean, does the Bible relate to the 21st century today? Does it relate to 2017? Well, you know what? In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13, let's just take sex outside of marriage. Just that little topic. 1 Corinthians 6:13 says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, right? 1 Corinthians 6:18 says, you know, when you're tempted, run, flee. <laughs> okay, you got, my students are used to that shout once in a while, so sorry, I didn't mean to scare you all. Well, what if you're a teenager and you're being tempted? Is it okay then? Because I mean, I'm not ready to get married, so is it okay then? What if I'm a college student and I'm not ready to settle down? I need to get my degree. I I need to establish a home. I'm not ready to get married, but surely this is okay. It's the 21st century. I can keep it clean. I uh, I can use things to not get diseases. What if I'm in a prolonged divorce and this divorce hasn't gone on for weeks, it hasn't gone on for months, it's gone on now for two or three years. And I found somebody who loves me, somebody who cherishes me, somebody who gets me. Surely this is, somebody who's a believer. My other spouse wasn't a believer. Surely this is okay in God. What if I'm a senior citizen and I don't wanna give up my social security benefits? It's like if I do, if I, get, if I get married, then I have to give that up. So surely God understands that. This is just the law of the land. Surely I can do it. I don't know. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man. But to the end, what? It leads to death. It leads to death. You know, you can't be a spirit-led person if you're not a spirit book person. (laughs) So I'm either gonna live this word and apply it to my life, or I'm not. If I obey then I'll believe, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And if I believe, then I'll obey. I mean, you know, have you ever preached something to your kids or to your friends and then, (laughs) and then you're like, oh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Have you ever heard that? You know, it's like, Oh, I can preach it, but I don't know. The second thing is we want to live by it. 1 Timothy four sixteen says, Take heed to what? Uh, to yourself and to the doctrine. Take heed to this word of God. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, By taking heed according to your word. So we've got to live by it. We've got to take heed to it and live by it. Then we need to remember it. Ah, Psalm 119 and verse 16 says, I delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. I'm gonna remember your word. I prayed that word this morning in my devotions. I'm gonna remember that word. Then we need to use it. We need, how many of you know that you remember something better when you put it into use? I'm gonna use it. Ephesians 6, 10 to 17 says, put on the whole armor of God and take on the helmet of salvation and what? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then we need to speak it. Acts 14, three says, therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly, In the Lord, who was bearing witness to what? To the word of his grace. I need to live it. I need to speak it. And what helps all of that is if I meditate on it. Now, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, um, you can put up Joshua 1.8, says that we should meditate in the word day and night. We need to meditate. Now, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the word meditate means to mutter over and over. Over and over again. And you think about when you memorize the Word of God, what do you do? You say it over and over you read it over and over. You're saying it over and over and over again, right? We're meditating on the Word of God. Hopefully, in your morning devotions, when you awaken the dawn in prayer, you know, the Lord is highlighting a verse for you, and you meditate on that all day long. Uh, At the University of Nebraska several years ago, uh, there was research done on which of your five senses makes the greatest impact on your brain the fastest? And what they found were our five senses, touch, taste, smell, seeing, and hearing, right? And what they discovered is that which makes the greatest impact on your brain the fastest is the sound of your own voice. Within one-fifth of a second up to the tenth power, the sound of your own voice marks your brain, tattoos your brain, puts grooves in your brain, the fastest of any of your five senses. Uh, Think about Ephesians 19. It says what? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, in the Word of God. You know, when we sing to the Lord, it doesn't matter if we're on tune or not. You know, uh, it just matters to the Lord that our heart and our spirit is free. This psychologist uh, took this experiment. He had also a practice, and he took this experiment into his practice, and he, half of his clients he had, um, and he's a Christian psychologist, so had them, you know, receive counsel from him. And the other half, he had them sit and listen to the verbal word of God for an hour. And the ones who listened to this living Word of God got better faster than those that received the counsel. That's nothing against the counsel. But when we go for counsel, if we're not incorporating the Word of God and we're not meditating on it day and night. I just wonder if we're slowing up the progress of healing in our lives. Uh, The third thing that we do, so we reach for it, we walk it out and we live it, and then we give it. We give it, we're walking the logos into the rhema. The logos is the written word of God. It's powerful, it's alive, but the rhema that's the Greek word "rema" is the, um, it's the quickened word of God. It's that this is not only alive here, but now it's alive here. It's the quickened word of God to my spirit. Um, you know, it's living, but if it's not alive in us, it's not transformational. Does that make sense? This living word of God will always be living. It's, as, as was said in a previous message, it's the most published book that there is in all of history. It will always be alive. But if it's not alive in me, then how can I give it away? You know, how many of you know that what you tend to give away is what is alive in you, right? Right? And so Warren Buffett says this, he's one of the wealthiest businessmen uh, in the world. He says, predicting rain doesn't count, but building arcs does. It's like, you know, if we can quote the word, that's good. But if I don't build an ark for those who are lost, if I don't live it, the Bible says that Noah got into the boat and he put his his family entered the boat with him. They not only needed to be able to preach about the rain that was gonna come, they needed to do something about the rain that was coming. You know, are we doing something about the rain? the word. And then I think we need to learn our own uh, personal devotional style. If your devotions with the Lord right now, your time in the word is boring and dry, you probably are not connecting with Jesus in the way that he's created you to connect. I wanna encourage you to get Pastor Mark Jones' book, uh, Unscripted, absolutely outstanding and excellent. Learning how to step into the presence of God uh, without your your plan and yet follow the plan of God. you know and reach in to him also another great book is sacred pathways by Gary Thomas and in this book he talks about uh, how some of us best connect with god when we're in nature some of us best connect with god when we're singing our worship some of us best connect with god when we're studying the word some of us best connect with god when we're sitting in a little chapel with stained glass windows in solitude how is it that you best connect with god go and do that because then the word will mark you it will be living in you. But if you're just trying to do it the way everybody else does it, you may feel like it's not working. And it has to work. It should always include the word and always include conversation with the Lord, you know, but it is alive. You know, uh, what the heart receives, the heart yearns to give. So in my devotions, if I'm receiving then i just can't wait to give the last few years in my prophetic ministry class in uh, Portland Bible College i uh, have i required the students to memorize seven verses to meditate on them they don't have to use the verses but the point of the lesson is is that you know how can you go out and be prophetic and give people words if if there isn't any word to tap into so they memorize these seven verses, and in the last number of years, uh, several of the students, and this has been this several years now, have been motivated to go downtown and to you know, after they pray and they hear from God, then to go and to give those words, and they've seen miracles done, and they've seen uh, all kinds of things uh, happen down there. And so, uh, in in one situation, uh, they were down there, and they were these teenagers were that were uh, skateboarders were kind of mocking them for preaching uh, the gospel. And so, uh, one of the students noticed that one of the boys uh, had a limp, and he says, "Hey, I noticed that you have a limp. Is it okay if we pray for you?" You know, most people won't turn away pray. Prayer. Uh, I believe that Jesus wants to heal you because the Lord had told him that, and Jesus is the healer, right? That's the word of God, right? And so uh, the boy said, "Sure, yeah, <laughs> you know, go go ahead and pray for us, you know, pray for my my leg." And sure enough, God healed it. And so then one of the boys said, "Well, hey, I want to be taller." <laughs> so the student said, "Well, I don't know if God's into that, but." <laughs> okay, let's pray. I mean, you know, what can you know, what can you do? And so they measured each other, you know, to see. And the students began to pray. And do you know, don't you know Jesus loves unbelievers and he loves new believer, believers, you know? And they prayed and this boy grew right before their very eyes. Yeah, that's worth applause. And then those boys then received the gospel, and then they came to GU on Wednesday night, and then, you know, they received the Lord. So I'm telling my hairstylist about this, about these students receiving words from God, and how, anyway, what all was happening, and he's a previous PBC student. He's a marvelous singer in another church here in the city, and so I'm telling him about, he says, I want to do that. I said, well, you can. You just have to pray and hear from God, and then do what God tells you to do. So he was connecting with God the way that God's made him. And he's just singing to the Lord and he's singing a song about God provides, God provides, God provides. You know, Jehovah Jireh, right? That's a Hebrew word, the Hebrew name for our God, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So he's singing that. And so then he goes to prayer. And, Lord, Lord I, I want a word because I'm gonna go out now and I'm, you know, I, I wanna, I'm gonna go to work. He takes two buses to get to work and I'm gonna go to work and I, I want to see what you would do today. So give me a word. And the Lord says, take socks. And he's like, what? No, that can't be right. (laughs) So I'm gonna pray again. So he says, I was kind of ticked at the Lord, you know, because I wanted him to tell me he was gonna heal somebody that day. And so he prayed again and the Lord said, take socks. And so he said, okay. So he put a couple pairs of socks in his bag. And when he went downtown, of course, it was raining. He got off his first bus downtown, and a boy who obviously lives on the streets walked up to him and said, Hey, mister, can I have the socks off your feet? Mine have holes, and I'm really cold and wet. And he said, Oh, son, I can do one better than that. He says, God told me this morning I was going to meet you, and I've got two clean pairs in my bag. And then he was able to share the gospel. We just have to reach for it. And then we have to live it. And then, so that it's imparted to our hearts. And then we give it. Whether it's a, a healing miracle of somebody's legs or somebody's heart. Or whether it's a provision of socks. I want to encourage you in this week to reach for it, to live it, and to give it. Could we stand together? If you need courage just to, everybody stand. If you need courage just to reach a little more for the Word of God, if you need courage just to live it out a little bit more, or if you need courage to give it out a little bit more, Let's ask Jesus to come and to touch us now. And I'm going to ask Pastor Dylan to just come and to just close this off together in Jesus' name.